This episode of the 10A Podcast is sponsored by TOC Public Relations, the only PR, marketing, and strategic communication firm that specializes in working with public safety agencies, associations, and businesses. TOCPR is also the parent company of Law Enforcement Social, which provides social media, PIO, and content creation training for all public safety. Be sure to check them out at TOCPublicRelations.com and LawEnforcement.Social. The views and opinions expressed on the 108 podcast are those of the authors and guests individually. They do not necessarily reflect an official policy or position. The 108 podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. This week on the 108 podcast, surviving the shooting with Josh Denton. It ended up being the stuff that you saw in movies, the stuff I never thought I would do, became a Tuesday night. Don't let me out or rest you guys. You're going to go through a dark road, I get it. It's a mindset of, I'm going to survive. You can't turn it on if you don't have that mindset. You can do de-escalation and you don't have to negotiate with the guy with the gun for 15 minutes before you pull the trigger. You want your mind rolling, slow it back down with you in control. You can do the right thing, but if you don't say it correctly, does it matter? From welcome to the 10A podcast episode 243. Welcome to the show, everybody. My name is 10A, and you guys are in for a treat, guys. This is so today. Um, the episode is called Surviving the Shooting, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But it's got like a subtitle or like a little um asterisk to it. This is called Episode in a Day. So, years ago, I mean, we're talking 2008, which it's weird, like in my mind's eye does not seem that far away that long ago and then when i really break down how long ago it really was it, it's a long time ago um but anyway back in 2008 and 2009 i was a student at the university of hartford in connecticut i was a cinema major or filmmaking and one of my activities one of the things i did was i was part of their news broadcasting station called stn2 that's just what it was whatever and um I was a member of the news department. I was a reporter. I was an anchor. I did weather. Um, I don't think I ever produced an episode, but I did that. Um, and then on live episodes, I would work camera, uh, worked graphics some days, things like that. So that was kind of what I did. Now, we had a weekly newscast on Friday. It was live, and but everything leading up to that newscast was pre-recorded, as far, except for the anchors and the uh, the sports and things like that. And as a reporter, I would, throughout the week, I would go out, I'd find my topic, I'd go interview, edit, write, all that crap. So, I did all that, and all that was good. Now, every once in a while, that was our weekly thing. Now, um, we did 
in the fall, we did a live sports cast. We took a uh, a box truck, like a U-Haul box truck, and we would we made a, a mobile TV studio, and then we broadcast the the school soccer games for a weekend. In the winter, we did that for basketball, and then um, in the spring. We did something called Show in a Day, where we would take the entire week-long process of making an episode and consolidate it down to just one day, the Friday. We would start at like 4 a.m., and we would do all our content creation, everything, all in one day. It was it, I've only, I only did it once, because I was only in the school for a year, but it was crazy. It was fun. Uh, good taste of what news is like, or at least it was back in 2008. Um so this is what today is. Now it's not. It wasn't intended to be this way. Life happens, and uh, a few things just kind of didn't didn't uh, pan out the way I wanted to ahead of time. Like I said, I think it was last week. Some schedule, some scheduling things changed. Um, I wasn't able to get uh, the I survived episode done, and I wasn't able to get my my follow up episode. So things are changing a little bit. But you know what? We're we're rolling with it. This is today has been a test of my resiliency. So today is thir- uh, Wednesday, July twenty seventh. The episode comes out on Thursday. I'm sorry. Did I say that? <laughs> today is Wednesday, July twenty seventh. The episode comes out on Thursday, July twenty eighth. So we're doing everything today. This morning when I woke up, Dave from Hey My Man and uh, Unit to Back, he recorded or he sent me his recording of the intro that you just heard, and then. Um, the interview is going on in just a few hours. So I'm recording this, then we're doing that, putting it all together in one day, going to edit an episode. Now, what you guys don't know about me is I typically record my interviews weeks in advance. And then it takes me that long to really just edit them because one, I'm lazy two, I procrastinate three. I don't know if I work full time. That's, you know, I have, I have a life outside of podcasting. So, um, all that being said, Uh, This is going to be whatever you're hearing, whatever the end result is, is all done in I wouldn't even say 24 hours because it's currently uh, 1706 hours. So it's it's significantly less than that. So hopefully it's a good show for you guys. Speaking of the show, let's talk about my guest today and what we're going to be talking about. My guest today is Josh Dental, and he is a retired sergeant from a police department in central Florida. He's been involved in multiple shootings, and he teaches a class with Tripwire Solutions South. And in his class, talking about officer-involved shootings, he goes over everything. And I took this class. I took this class back in April. Actually, April 28th. So actually, a, a couple months to the day of me taking his class. And in this class, he covers everything from being prepared for the shooting, the shooting itself, and the aftermath of the shooting. And he shows videos in which he's kind of... Um, he is. He's critiquing um, officers and how their shootings went and to ask the class is this good or bad or whichever. It's a very interesting topic and it's very important because unfortunately, officer-involved shootings, I feel, are becoming more and more frequent. I feel like the past three years has really... Actually, you want to go like the past ten years has really put a lot of distrust in the public and the law enforcement community. And... Uh, there's a complete lack of disrespect. There are people that get jammed up by the police and they understand that it's a job and that, you know, it's a game and and they lost that round and they got to go back to it. But there's a lot of them that, and by them I mean criminals, that don't care. 
They don't see any fear or any true recourse for their actions, and they're going to run, they're going to fight, and sometimes those things lead to shootings. And, you know, you can blame, you have to blame the judicial system for that. The judicial system isn't at an all-time worst as far as accountability to criminals. They have no problem hammering a cop against the wall and making them pay for whatever they may or may not have done, calling back to the Ben Darby episode, but criminals seem to get a free pass. You have people out there on parole and probation for violent and or firearm related charges and they go out and do the exact same crime again or worse. You know, we, we talked about, you know, gang members who are out on parole and they shoot a cop. They kill a cop. Um, just today I shared a T-shirt for an officer in the D.C. area. That got uh, that got murdered in the line of duty, and and if you guys are on Instagram, go take a look. Uh, the the link should still be up there. If not, I'll repost it. Um, so that's what's important about this episode, and we're going to talk in depth about you know what to do before, during, and after a shooting to to make sure you're okay. Um, but I just wanted to intro Josh. I want to intro the topic. This to me is one of the most important topics that we've had all season long. And um, speaking of that. This is my last normal episode of the season. This is the end of season two. So what's going to happen is next week we have a week off. The following week starts the Drunk Cops Summer Jam. Now, let's talk about that real quick. Uh, This past Monday I recorded Drunk Cops um, Cheap Date with Dr. Delery, uh, Radio Waitress, Peach the Fuzz, and Eric Tansy from Failure to Stop. Something happened. My computer totally froze mid-recording, actually towards the end of the recording, and it would not respond to my my mouse, my anything. So I had to hard reset the computer. Now, typically, when I do my interviews, I do them through Squadcast. Now, this time I did it through Zoom, and Zoom did not save the recording that I started. So all that being said, the episode is lost. Um, except for about 30 minutes of us saying goodbye and whatever else was... Um, was part of that. So, um, I'm working on rescheduling it. There's a chance that drunk cost summer jam is just going to be a two parter with the Jersey boys. And then, uh, the blackout episode, which is going to have, uh, poorly made police memes five. Oh my God. That's awesome. Uh, parking lot patrol nurse Smith, and then a bunch of people walking on and off throughout the night. So, that may be the case, and if so, I apologize, but we have another Drunk Cops in the works for Season 3, and that's going to be called uh, Drunk Cops Under the Table. Basically, we are, we're going to all buy the same liquor, we're all going to be taking drinks and whatever at the exact same time. So for me, it's going to be tough because I like drinking craft beer during Drunk Cops, but I'm going to do something completely different, spice it up, and we're going to see who truly taps out first. And those are my peppers. So... All this is going to be fun, guys. This is going to be a great episode. At the end of the interview, I'm going to go back and talk about some of the most popular episodes of Season 2, and then we are going to get out of here. So check it out. Show in a day, Surviving the Shooting, 10A Podcast, Josh Dental, coming up next. Check it out.
right, we're back, and we've got my buddy Josh Dental, right? That's Yeah, Dental. absolutely. How you doing, man? Absolutely fantastic. How are you? Oh, just just wonderful. Did a did a lot of stuff out in the garden today. So, uh that was that was nice getting getting nice and dirty being one with the earth, you know. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. It, I mean, you know, it gets to the point where you finally get a day off and you can finally do some of the things that you wanted to do. It's a it's a nice relaxing experience. Yeah, clean the smoker. I get it. Yeah, no smoker yet. No smoker. I got it. I got it pinned on my uh, Amazon. It's coming. It's coming. I might get. I think I'm gonna get the step down from what you got, but I'm I'm looking at it. That master build is amazing. Yeah, I'm looking for it. My buddy's got, my buddy's got the smaller one, mm-hmm. and so I was looking at at his. I was like, you know what? This is this is the one. It's only four hundred dollars. Dude, I my barbecue has gone up for so many levels since I transitioned from uh-huh. the the pit boss pellet to the master built i mean it helps i want it i'll fully admit that but i'll take it my wife's happy i it, i can cook any it night. matters what you do with it now you know no kidding so um all right man so i kind of gave a soft intro to get us to this point but i'll go ahead and let you introduce yourself uh let us know who you are where you're from what you do and we'll go from there i am josh dental i just retired from law enforcement two months ago after ten and a half years with a smaller agency in central florida polk county area uh during my time 10 and a half years i chased the proactive stuff the entire time i could uh spent time on our street crimes tactical unit as an officer uh transitioned out to the polk county hide task force for about two years absolutely the best two years of my life uh came back got promoted spent time in investigations run the street crimes back on patrol uh for the last four years, I was a sergeant uh, up until the time I moved on, and every bar or every part of my being there was proactive. I wanted to chase the the next case. Street level, I was a little bit better at, but I pushed for that and ended up becoming the dark cloud, the ship magnet. To be blunt, uh, it just kept pouring on, but. It, I mean, I wouldn't trade it. It was a great 10 years. I met my wife through law enforcement, which I didn't expect to happen. Was she a nurse? No, 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 no. <laughs> I broke that trend. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's good, man. Uh, you know, and as you're talking and, and, and just looking at you and everything, you actually remind me of my old sar- my old sergeant from my old agency. Same idea. He was just a – I don't – I don't. he was on the on the Haida task force on – the other coast, but I don't. I don't think it was during the time that you might have been. Oh uh, yeah, I think we were the Central Florida Hida group. It's or in that region, but then Grady Judd kind of pulled away from taking federal money. But that's another story for another day. Gotcha, gotcha. And just for people that aren't aware, what does Hida stand for? High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area Task Force. Okay. And for me, it ended up being the stuff that you saw in movies. That oh, I want to be a cop. And, oh, I get to throw GPS trackers on cars, sit on wiretaps, be out for 40, 60 hours at a time, and pulling hauls of dope in the pounds, kilos. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It never get, never got old. Best two yeah, years ever. I did. Um, I never did that, but I've worked a few operations with um, com- a couple of the Alphabet boys. And um, <laughs> it was – that was crazy. Just seeing, like, hitting a search warrant or hitting a, you know, a target or something and seeing what they pulled out. I was like, holy crap. Uh, to the point of like, I didn't get to the point, but hearing some of their stories where they would hit a car and they would, 
they would be concerned taking the evidence back to <laughs> wherever they were because they were like, we're going to get picked off. Like we we really made some enemies with when we pulled this in. Yeah, trying to load up our trucks with uh, weed from grow houses as we're just driving all the way back across the county with cars. You could, if a canine was in a mile radius, it would have hit on it. Let's get real. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it was just next level. It was the uh, stuff I never thought I would do was became a Tuesday night. And then, and then you just went, all right, let's go back to patrol. Let's, let's get promoted and chasing the promotion start or trying to start a family and let's get a real part of that promotion. I, I was always wanted to, but that financial factor is a big deal. I mean, it's a large jump to help to grow that fame a little bit, take a little bit of that stress off. Right. But you also knew who you were and you know, knew who you were as a cop. So you knew mm-hmm. you could still get that adrenaline kick no matter what you were doing. Well, that was the best part about being a younger sergeant. Uh, just right about the time I came back from Haida, give or take. So a lot of the newer guys had only heard of me. They saw me once a week, maybe, but I'd be in an office that they weren't allowed in. So once I got promoted, it was game on. I was like, don't let me out arrest you guys. And game on if uh, I get the felony arrest. I'll type up the affidavit. I'm not punting it to you, but you're going to transport for me. And mm-hmm. it was a competition that I was doing to push them. And, I mean, I had my own fun in the in my own way. Yeah, some of my best supervisors were the ones that they were kind of those ones. They were almost like legends. Like you knew their name. They're on the the roster sheet, but you never see them. And then you do see them. It's like, whoa, look at this guy. Um, and then yeah, that they obviously they move up the ranks, and you're like, man, I want to work for this guy because you know he gets it. So that's that's really cool. And then you know we're we're talking we're talking some serious stuff here today. We're talking shootings and all that stuff. How now you you teach a, a shooting class, right? And it's not like a let's go to the range and shoot. It's it's something different. Absolutely. Uh, back up just a little bit. When I was coming up through the ranks, uh, I made a buddy of mine, Dan Gaskin. Ended up becoming my sergeant, super close friend throughout my career. Pretty much kind of my mentor. Our kind of careers fell in line, me following him. Uh, he moved on from my agency, moved back north where his family was, and he started working with Tripwire Operations Group, now Tripwire South, as a training guy. He always wanted to do training full-time, and Tripwire does dogs, gun or dogs, firing, bombs. Uh, they get some mega alphabet contracts. It's a legit place. And he's like, hey, we really want to start growing our law enforcement training. Uh, he, and Dan started teaching gang classes, confidential informants, his bread and butter, what he was strong in. And I'm sure it's priority said, but in the last five years of my career, I was involved in a three officer-involved shootings over a course of about four and a half years. And he's like, I, there, I don't see much of this out there. I think that you could bring something to the table. It hasn't really been done yet. So I sat down and I... I always had a kind of a stockpile of body cam footage, officer-involved shooting footage that I'd send out of my shift to train for stuff to think about, stuff to really break down. So I already had kind of a background for it, and I built it off of some of the videos that I showed in the class with you and really just wanted to push good discussions. And part of the class, or I say part of the class, the foundation for me of the class is three things that I type out. I want people to be confident in their actions. And if you're confident in your actions, confident in knowing your case law, knowing your general orders, you're going to react 
appropriately. You're going to take care of the business that needs to get done. You're not going to doubt yourself. You're not going to hesitate. It's not going to be, oh, if I have to shoot this guy, can I? Am I going to get written up? It's going to be, no, this is deadly force. I'm not, to the point that you're not even thinking about it. It's a natural reaction, which in turn helps you survive. Then I want you to be able to articulate your actions in that investigation. That's huge because you can do the right thing, but if you don't say it correctly, does it matter? I mean, video only gets you so far, but what you, all the information that you have in that moment, you have to be able to articulate that to investigators, uh, to the IA that's going to be looking at the case later. You want to support your own case, and you have to be able to put that into words and understand why you did an action. And then at the end, being through three of them, seeing how it's affected me, I want officers after a shooting to be able to survive and thrive with their families and not lose everything. I mean, yeah, you survived a, a shooting, that's great, but if you end up going through a dark road, you're going to go through a dark road, I get it. But let's let's fight to get out of that, and you can't. It's not the end. You can push through it. Yeah, these are all very important topics and little, um, I don't know, like hitch points that I've been kind of hammering home this entire year that I've had the podcast on, must be in the second year. But this year specifically, you know, it's very important to have the the backing, you know, of, of just knowledge. And, and you know, we're, I'm going to pick apart all three of those those um those things you just talked about and we'll kind of talk to talk about them in depth. But I think that it's so important because when we talk about officer involved shootings, line of duty shootings, it is literally the most important thing that we do. Like it, that is it. That's where we're playing for keeps. Literally. Yeah. Uh, when you get to that point of deadly force and you, you know, everyone, especially, you know, in the, in the meme community, we make the joke like, Oh no, 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 no. I can, I'll, I'll, I'll be able to turn it on when I need to. And that is not no, the case. And the toughest part about it is there's, you aren't 100% sure. Again, you say it. Oh, I could do it. Can you? I mean, Sims is fantastic. I, I'm a Sims instructor. I, if I could do that every day, I would quit any job I ever have to be a Sims instructor full time. That's just the best. It's fun. But it's also horrifying because there are people that you know, if we're put in that situation, can't. Period. And... It, you can't turn it on if you don't have that mindset. If you have the correct mindset, yes, it is a switch that you can flip because you're already your finger's already on the switch. You're ready to rock. You're you're reading somebody. You're trying to get ahead of that guy. No different than when you stop a car. You know if he's going to bail or not. So you're trying to light it up in a correct area. You're thinking two steps ahead. Then that's that mindset that is that's the absolute foundation to it. Right. And I, I kind of, I equate it to a physical confrontation, Certainly. right? Like if you, if you are confident in the, in your ability to take someone to the ground or to, you know, ground fight or whatever it may be, then you are going to have the confidence to engage that, that person in a different way, Absolutely. as opposed to like, you know, pussyfooting around with the guy and letting them walk all over you that, you know, you showed so many videos in the class of people that did not have the confidence to deal with subjects. And obviously in the class, they kind of, I'm thinking of the one female in the staircase, Oh my goodness! you know, at the end of the day, the subject literally walks all over this person. And, you know, obviously for people that haven't seen the video, it, it goes very poorly and it goes all, all kinds of messed up. So if you equate that with fighting, 
right? And having the confidence to just deal with someone one-on-one and just apply that same idea to a life or death situation. Why, why not stack the deck in your favor if you have the ability to do that? And I just want to go back just one second. And that doesn't, I mean, while yes, shooting at the range is important, but that's not all we're talking about here. It's a mindset of I'm going to survive. I'm going to win this battle, whether it's a fist fight, a foot pursuit, I'm going to outthink you. Uh, I'm not the biggest, fastest, strongest dude. I'm a ginger. I'm not that guy. However, I'm going to outthink you. I'm going to be thinking two steps ahead. I'm going to be reading your body language. I'm going to do anything I possibly can to get any bit of an advantage on you. So if I think you have a weapon, all right, maybe the hood on my holster is already down, ready to rock. Um, I'm trying, Mm -hmm. I'm doing anything I can. And in Oscar Valley Shooting, a lot of the time, we're at a reactive spot. We obviously can't right. shoot ahead. That's, I'm not recommending that in any capacity. Well, we're already at a disadvantage, so we have to take any little thing. And you, you all see the rookies out there that, oh, put your hands behind your back so I can arrest you, and you're already reading the guy tensing up, knowing that it's either going to be a foot pursuit or a fight. And mm-hmm. the senior officer of the sergeant's hopefully standing there going, they're jumping in, taking care of it. And you're trying to preach that to... What did you see here that could have gone wrong? And that's where in the class I say early on, we're going to be watching tons of body cam footage, and I'm not trying to dunk on any officer I see here. But this is hopefully points that you see on the street that you can apply that we can discuss. And people in the class have seen some stuff that I hadn't seen before. It's fantastic. They're reading the body language a little bit differently. but I'm, And I emphasize it probably 15 times of I'm not trying to just take a dump on these officers yeah stuff goes sideways it does I mean I think my voice cracked like a 12 year old after I was on the radio in one of my shootings I laughed about it later but it sounds bad it's in the moment right it's it's stuff that takes with it so when we talk about having the confidence right it there it's it goes back and I'm thinking of all the different episodes that I've had up to this point kind of talk about these things and, you know, like being able to read people, um, being able to have the confidence of your general orders and the law yes, to know yes, that like yes. this, this is where we're at and to know, and, and we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but I think we are, and, and I've got some, um, uh, some questions later. And one of my former sergeants, the one I was telling you about before we press record, she had both a question and a statement and you're going to, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. Um, but when we talk about deescalation, it's been ingrained in this new level of cop, this new, um, new phase of cop, which I was part Mm of it where, you know, everything that's happened up to this point in society over the last like 10 years or so really has cops at a disadvantage because we are told basically not to engage. Like we want to avoid the engaging, you know, because then that's how we end up on the, on the news. Yeah. And that hesitation gets people killed. We've seen it. We've seen it. And we see it time and time again, unfortunately. There's, you know, I don't know what the current FOP stat is, but there's there's been a lot of line of duty deaths this year by gunfire alone. And you, you wonder, and while there's a lot of ambushes, there's also a lot of just the guys getting the jump on the, on the officers. And I say guys because most of the officer-involved shootings, the subjects are males. That's, that's the statistic. Absolutely. All right, so let's talk. Um, let's let's go ahead and talk confidence and like the mindset of of that that will get you into a good spot should the need arise to go to deadly force. I think that confidence 
is kind of what we both have already mentioned. No one case law, Tennessee v. Garner, and for us in Florida, our deadly force statute. That's the foundation first and foremost. Past that, you got to look at your general orders. What are you required to do? That spins off to the de-escalation, which is a blessing and a curse the way most general orders have it written. If the if your general order says shall de-escalate, will de-escalate, okay, on another step, you can do de-escalation and you don't have to negotiate with the guy with the gun for 15 minutes before that, before you pull the trigger. The way you show up, are you not showing up in a marked vehicle in uniform? You already told them to stop, drop the weapon multiple times. Can you not articulate that for de-escalation? And that's where the confidence is being able to articulate that fact, not just saying, oh, I told him to stop. What did you do to de-escalate? Uh, uh, I told him to stop multiple times while I had a weapon drawn or a taser drawn, and he wasn't complying at that point. He was, The de-escalation attempts failed, so I progressed. And that's the multiple steps of understanding what you can and can't do and knowing that general order so you can't get it, it used against you. Now, I, I got a question about general orders. When Where you worked, it did, was it written in your policy that you need to say, sir, drop the weapon 15 times before you take action? In the last two years, kind of with everyone else across the country, the de-escalate and the duty to intervene kind of were added. Uh, the de-escalation, from what I remember, was totally vague in the, you will, you will attempt to de-escalate. And that's really all it was. So mm-hmm. on face value... I know cops are like, oh my God, they're making us de-escalate or in the general order now before we do anything. But you can still articulate actions you take without having a long, drawn-out incident that you're saying, drop the gun, retreating, trying to tase four times, beanbags, all that. You, If you needed to, you could use deadly force in a situation. You just have to be able to articulate that. So it's a blessing and a curse that, yes, it's in there, it's a... No- can be frustrating sometimes how it's written but it's open so vaguely or vague for us that we can change that and make it in our favor that we can articulate no i told told him three times to drop the weapon i had a weapon drawn and show that i attempted to de-escalate and that's where our articulation comes into play right absolutely and that that just comes from knowing your knowing your stuff inside and out i think that 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 can't be understated like i don't understand cops that don't understand the law (laughs) like it is literally your job like how do you how can you show up and go you know i'm not sure especially if there's one policy procedure that you should know backwards and forwards it's your use of force policy because it's your life that's yeah exactly if it's your life it's your buddy's life and if you don't understand it then you could be in a cell because of it i'm i'm not trying to be morbid or scared but if you don't understand it you're risking your family your civil liability because if you don't follow that you're on your own right absolutely and and that that is a bad place to be and i said that right before this part of the episode where i said you know prosecutors these days are all too willing to to vindicate a cop and they they will let the the good guy go or the bad guy go like it's a good guy but the the cop if he screws up he's the one getting nailed to the wall certainly and I'm very, very blessed to come from Polk County, which is very pro-law enforcement. Our state attorney, Brian Haas, is absolutely outstanding. Um, they are very fair with law enforcement. If you are dirty or mess up in a malicious manner, they will get you, and they should. But they're not out to headhunt on 
on officers, which is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so w- what are some of the things in your class that you focus on as far as kind of setting up? Well, what are some of the things you focus on as far as the class itself? Ooh, uh, I mean, we start with the confidence. We start with the case law right off the bat. Then we kind of go into the warrior mindset of what am I going to do to win this battle? Uh, what I said earlier, I'm not the biggest, fastest, but what can I do to put any cards in my favor? Let's get some cards back on my side of the deck so we can win that. All right. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's read the situation, read the people. Uh, what I, The one thing I can't do in the class is have you have you shoot under duress. That If you can't hit the broadside of a barn, going to the class, that's great. You might be able to get the draw on somebody, get rounds back, but if you're shooting jets out of the sky and totally mm-hmm, missing somebody, mm-hmm. just because you understand your case law, you you have to have that full package. Uh, break down a lot of video that before the incident you can see that sometimes a shooting could be avoided or tactics could be adjusted that maybe you could go less lethal beforehand. Sometimes you can't. Also do some good shoot, bad shoot gray areas that we've that there's not necessarily the right answer. Somewhere the officers were fired and arrested but then found not guilty. Is that a good shoot or is that a bad shoot? Mm-hmm. Uh, I have added actually a couple more in the last few weeks. Uh, the New York State one where the officer was in the parking lot that got stabbed. Mm-hmm. Uh, just added that one. Uh, big thing for me, uh, I love Intel. Open source, whatever, whatever database we have. What are we doing to get ahead of that before we arrive on scene? Can we take 15 more seconds occasionally to do a premise history to see, hey, there's a guy with a warrant there that typically is there. So your your mind's already rolling the whole time you're driving. Of, is this guy going to have a warrant? Is this, is he going to be there? What am I going to do if he's been there? You've already written through 27 scenarios in your head. It could be nothing. It could just be a 9-1 hang-up call. But you're already, your gears are grinding, your mind's working. So if it does, that dude shows up, bails out the back, you're already thinking ahead. You already call a dog or a drone in the area to just be on standby in case they take off. You, you want your mind rolling. It's kind of, It sounds like paranoia sometimes, but be prepared for the worst. Yeah, but I feel like in this job, paranoia is okay sometimes because... Unfortunately, when we let our guard down, that's when people get to jump on us. That's when ambush happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you get too complacent, it's going to kill you. I I talked about it in one episode, and uh, you being a Sims instructor, I think you'll like this one a lot. Uh, we did officer ambush training, and they uh, set up the room to look like a restaurant or whatever it was, and, and you know people come in and out and everything. And obviously in Sims, the, the guy in the big suit, He's the one that you got to watch the most out of, right? Mm-hmm. And we're sitting there and we're waiting. We're all like, they're like, don't look at the guy. Just pretend you're at lunch, you know? But everyone's looking at him. Never pulled a gun. That was the whole thing. Like, that was, it was to tell us, like, you have to be vigilant. I like that. And the idea was, the takeaway was, why are you not looking at everybody like you look at that guy? Mm-hmm. Like... Because what would, I mean, this would this would kind of be a, a cheap shot, but let's be honest. Like, let's say while we're looking at this one guy, one of the other guys pull a gun and, and get us. Certainly. And that's how quickly it happens. And obviously that's, you know, that's an ambush situation. But any scene, anybody can pull a gun on you at any time. So I feel like that paranoia, and not, I get the whole paranoia thing, but it's really more of just playing out all these situations. We had, I was involved in a call right before I left my last agency. 
It was a domestic. And uh, we're talking to, we're separated the two parties and me and my buddy are going into the bedroom of the, the subject that we're ultimately going to arrest. And he's, he's like, no, no, he speaks Spanish. My partner sp- spoke Spanish. And he was basically saying like, no, 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 let me just pack my bag and, uh, and I'll get out. I'll leave for the night. Oof. And I see him like going and he's like grabbing his stuff and he goes to like this, um, armoire type thing and he opens the thing and he reaches into a drawer and I was like ready to smoke him right there. Mm-hmm. It was nothing. He was literally just grabbing a thing of socks, but it's those things that you need to play in your head. And obviously we jumped on him and took care of him because before it even got that far, but it happens that quickly. Yeah. Dude, my last week, this is not an exaggeration. My last week before I moved on from law enforcement, a movie theater calls homeless guys sleeping out front. It's like a Tuesday. It's not a Friday or anything. Not a problem. I'll, I'll take care of it. So my guys can go to other calls, roll up. Hey man, wake up gotta go he rolls over he has an h and k in his waistband mm. and i could i'll never forget seeing the eight like the clear h and k usp on on the grip ended up being a freaking bb gun with the slide missing mm-hmm. metal but wow. metal frame same weight it's just a homeless guy's like it's what i have to protect myself but to kick in that adrenaline to get your weapon out and then slow it back down with you in control. You got yeah to control that adrenaline. It, it's rough. I even caught myself on the radio going, "All right, then breathe." I went back and watched mm-hmm. my footage for that reason. I was like, "All right, so how did how did I do?" That's a blessing and a curse of body cams. Everything we can, we do now is videoed, but mm-hmm. it, it's a blessing. But if you're if you're an athlete, you're going to go back and watch your game film. Certainly. So why not? You know, and I used to do that all the time. I would go back and watch a call or whatever and see how did I handle it um, for multiple reasons. What could I do better? Blah, 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 blah. There were some that I would just watch because, oh, this one was funny. And I end up catching things that were actually like officer safety issues. I remember one. It was a it was just a DUI investigation. And I was just rewatching it to write my report. And I see my buddy clear as day stand right up against the guy's window and if the guy the guy ended up having a gun uh he was concealed carry but if it turned shitty he would have he had no cover whatsoever just his chest flushed to the thing and i went back i was like listen dude i don't want to be a dick but this is what i saw and that's what you know and so i I have no he had no idea because he let his guard down he went to just talk to the guy and i was like think about like think about the whole scenario and i was like he was drunk he knew he was drunk he had a gun he knew he had a gun we didn't. And he knew he, he was going to jail. Right. So, I mean, luckily he chose, you know, he chose Jesus, not anything <laughs> else, but um, not to meet, not to meet Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's just stuff we really need to think about. Um, the next, the next kind of thing you have here is articulation. And that's so important. You know, we talk about report writing and, and, you know, saying what you need to do. It is, it is so important to know and that goes back to the confidence and then it goes back to the knowledge of knowing what can be done and then putting that into words. Yeah, and something that's really crazy after being involved in three of them, there's so much adrenaline going through your body, how much your mind can absorb in that a little bit about the details. Uh, you can. Uh, I'll never forget certain parts of most recent one I was in that he was smoking with his left hand. His right hand was in his pocket. So much so that I could act it out when I was giving my statement to the state attorney's office. 
And I also, my first one, I remember it, after my interview, I was like, I, what, I got to know what kind of gun was it? Because I, when I saw it pointed at me, I'd go, oh shit, that's a Glock. And then even so, in that moment, I go, oh, that's like a Glock 26. That so much adrenaline, and it actually was a Glock 26, which was surreal. And I was like, oh wow. So it, it but other parts, kind of, you don't remember. It. So being able to get some of those incredibly specific details do help you to articulate of, oh, I didn't think I saw a gun. No, 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 I saw a Glock. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that was a Glock. I knew it to be a Glock. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a cell phone. It wasn't a stapler. And being able to articulate that with confidence. And going back to the confidence in your actions, if you're confident in your actions, you're going to be confident given your statement. It, the statement's nervous. I mean, sitting at a table of homicide investigators and state attorney's office people, it's not great when you're the only one there. Especially after you get read Miranda, that's a curveball. You're normally on the other side of this, and you're thinking, what did I do? After my first one, my chief came up to me. He's like, hey, how are you feeling? I'm like, I'm good. I know I did the right thing. I know I'm in the right. There's no question about it. And that really eased my mind going forward, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the articulation of the confidence in your actions helps you to be more confident in what you're going to say to the state of why you did something. And I mean, if you have video, you can even stand there like you're doing a, a college presentation with a little wand to be like, this is what I saw right here, circling it on the frame by frame footage, almost like it's sports center. And mm. that's a blessing of body cam footage that it's not just our words. We can just, su- the video supports our words. Let's strengthen it even more. Right. So when you, I'm going to take a quick sidestep. Certainly. Here. When you, when you're in your first shooting, uh, if you're comfortable with it, can you go ahead and describe that one to me? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was in the Hyda Task Force Detective uh, Special Deputy out with the Polk Hyda unit. And we were, one of the guys had a case going that we were watching a house. And he was watching the house with one other guy. Uh, I was in an unmarked vehicle with lights. I had two other detectives with me. I think we had like six or seven cars out, just kind of mobile, roaming, standing by. And during that, the surveillance guys go, oh, that I know that dude. He definitely just left with a big bag of meth, 100%. I know him. He's got no license. He's leaving in a black charger. So seven, eight cars. We start following, rotating surveillance. Dudes were legit at surveillance. We were fantastic at it. But the whole time we're talking it down or going through it, going, all right, do we box him in here? How are we going to play this? And my sergeant at the time was like, there's no way we're taking him at this intersection. It's 3 o'clock on a Thursday. It's going to go sideways. It's a busy intersection. Keep rotating. Wherever he stops, we box him and we take him there. All right, cool. And keep rotating, keep rotating. When he stops, my vehicle happens to be the one that we roll up on him in. And it was an unmarked, it was a good unmarked lights. And he pulls in front of a mobile home. And the driveway has the the deep ditches on both sides. So you just have the little uh, driveway area. That's it. So there's no way for him to pull around. And Polk Hyde has a good reputation among the crankers in Polk County that they know that they're, they, they've been got by a good group of dudes. And we go up there, two guys 
driver of our car goes to the driver's side of the target car. A uh, cranker out of the trailer came out to the front of the uh, target car, and my buddy, the passenger, goes up, downs him, just gets him to the ground. I go to the passenger side, and real quick, dark, super dark tint on the car, and we have lights on. This car can't go anywhere. During this time, me and my other detective are yelling, hey, show me your hands. Roll down the window. Unlock the door. He's not complying, but you can tell he's that fidgety, I'm trying to get out of here. And through audio, it's a little tough to describe, but he, his hands would go up for a second about shoulder height. They go down to the shifter, go down to the waistband, seatbelt area. And in kind of succession, one, two, and three, that you could tell that he was straight overloaded. He was trying to figure out what he was going to do. Not complying with anything. He wants to put the car in drive, but if he goes forward, he's literally going to run over his buddy. Backwards, he's going to—he's blocked in by a big old SUV. And again, hand up, waistband, hand to the shifter. He's running through every option in his head. Knowing that, all right, he's not going to comply. I'm like, all right, we got search warrant tools in the car. I'm going to get the hooligan tool. Like, I'm not beating this window with a baton. I'm going to go get the hooli. I come up, run back up, and as I get back up to the passenger side, I bring up the hooli uh, in like a batting position as I'm just going to do one big swing through that window. And this is what I was saying with this that much adrenaline this moment becomes the matrix for you. If you're ever in an officer-involved shooting, it's very similar to being in a car crash. You can see that the car crash is about to happen, and there's kind of nothing you can do about it at that moment because it's just it's, your body sees it, and it is just dumping pure adrenaline. Take that times it by 100. And as I'm mid-swing with the Hooli, and I don't know if I thought I was in Major League Baseball, I, I, I was batter up on this Hooli mid-swing, and all of a sudden I see his hand, right hand come up from the seatbelt area of the waist, point right at my face through the passenger side area. I go, oh shit, that's a Glock. This isn't good. And continue with the swing, bash out window. Luckily that throws a good bit of glass in his face. It wasn't like a baton where I'm just exposed. The Hooli is a lovely tool. I Actually, they should be in more cars. But at that point, I'm like, I just got shot at. And sure enough, I did. At this point, a fourth detective has uh, rolled up on us. So I transitioned to the back of the car, tossed the hooli draw, put eight rounds to the back window, and every detective there is firing into the car. He, we knew he was the only one in the car. We could see that. And he was in the driver's seat. And at, after about eight rounds, everyone kind of pauses for a second. One of my guys goes, hey, 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 cease fire, hold up, hold up, hope. And everyone just kind of looks around like, oh, that just happened. You kind of click out of it. It's almost like sleepwalking. That felt really good that it was a reaction, that I didn't have to think about, oh, I need to move, I need to pull my gun out, I need to aim. No, it was straight reaction, waking up from a dream. Like, oh, okay, now my mind gets back into play. We rotate back up. I reach in the car window. We unlock it, get them out, cuff them. Uh, get an AED up there, start doing CPR. And one of the things I talk about in the class is part of my experience. He ends up dying 24 hours later. There was an ounce of meth in the back seat. Uh, the gun was a stolen Glock out of Orlando. Uh, dude was a 
mega convicted felon to say the least uh francis perry extensive history so pardon me for a soapbox moment gun laws i was shot at by a convicted felon with a stolen gun i'm just saying uh but going back to what i was saying about the cpr the investigators get there and they start talking to everybody the neighbors because this was afternoon it wasn't the middle of the night and they're talking to the neighbors like hey what do you do you hear see what happened like no 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 we didn't hear, uh, see anything but we heard them we heard them say sheriff's office sheriff's office show me your hands unlock the car open the window and he's like they they said plenty of stuff and then i started hearing gunshots and then the witness keeps going on it's like, then they pulled him out and then they tried to render first aid uh, they tried to do that and i'm like i heard about that afterwards i'm like oh that's why you give good verbal commands that's why you render first aid and that's something i preached really heavily when you can you you got to render aid in some capacity even if it's holding pressure uh is it i mean if they're shot a lot i'm not gonna be delusional yeah it might not help but you still got it you have to put forth the some least, sort of effort. The optics and, exactly yeah, for sure and show so no, the only thing I just want to go back to is when he pulled the gun <laughs> and is pointing it at you. I don't know if you can remember, but what was your? I know you said like it was a no shit moment, but that's got to be almost like a surreal out of body experience oh, too. Yeah. To to be looking down the barrel of a gun that's being fired at you. Yeah, and again, I will never forget. I was like, yeah, that's that's about a Glock 26, all in the same moment. And I'm like, even though he's pointing a gun at me, I don't know why I want to identify the gun right now. That's not my <laughs> utmost importance. But it, it wasn't thinking. It, I tossed the hooli, moved, draw, and shot. And out. I, I think I fired eight rounds. And about after that is when it clicked. I woke up, kind of. I was in control. I knew what was going on. And that's where you're like, oh, wow, the auditory exclusion is real. I just fight. I think we fired 32 rounds around the perimeter of a Dodge Charger, and we were all up on it. And, I mean, my ears weren't bad. It's not like we were all deaf, and we could communicate, right. keep moving. Now, what do you credit that to? The You know, how, how quickly and how seamlessly your body moved and, and just took over. Would you say that that's just a muscle memory of continued training or? Training, mindset, a lot of it. Uh, when I was on the line to shoot quals or at the range for the agency, my goal was always to be out of the holster and rounds down range first. Uh, because I knew that if we're already at a disadvantage and either a they're pulling a gun or they're putting rounds at us rounds down range quickly is very important i'm not saying willy-nilly turn your uh glock into a shotgun with the, your pellet pattern but i was able to do that quickly and accurately uh that was my mental goal of out of the holster first and i want my first uh rounds down range first on target obviously and that's always what was through my head of and also, I'm not going to go down and not be in this fight. I'm going to fight. I'm going to win. I'm going home. You just tried to pull a gun on four Haida guys? Nah, 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 nah. I'm going home. Yeah. It Now, I wonder... So, another thing that kind of it goes back to the mindset is that I think of anything a criminal or a bad guy, whatever you want to call him, could do, 
is try to kill you, right? That's Absolutely. like, you know, nothing in this job is personal. But <laughs> you beat me to when it. they when they <laughs> when they start to try to kill me, then it gets a little personal. Yeah, I mean, we've all had that interaction with somebody that fought with us, ran from us, lied to us, and they'll, they'll apologize later. And I would always be, like, dude, it's not personal. It's nothing personal. That Fran Perry trying to shoot me in the face, yeah, that, that's that's pretty personal. Right, but now. So- I, I agree 100%. But at the same time, there was still a significant level of professionalism because you guys did yank him out and perform CPR. So It's a switch. While, right, and that's what I was going to say. While, you know, because let's say you're involved in a shooting and the, the subject doesn't die. Mm-hmm. Well, you still have to render that first aid and you have to put what just happened behind you and realize that, hey, this, is, this still is what work that needs to be done. We use deadly force to end the threat we don't say in the general order that we have to kill you with the deadly force it's just a possible likelihood of using such force so if you were to not die after being shot by law enforcement we are still responsible for you you're in our custody at that point that's a fourth amendment search and seizure we are seizing your rights at that point we're taking that away of your right to be free we're taking that away in some capacity exactly uh so we have to be confident in it. We have to render that aid. And I, there's a, the Volusia County video that I showed you from a few years ago. Mm-hmm. He kind of broke down afterwards. And again, I'm not trying to dunk on the guy. Not at all. But he left the guy that he shot on the stairs while he just left the family inches away. And just went down the stairs and waited. Like, you can't do that. You got. You have to... It's a lot. You can break down afterwards, but you got to keep pushing. You have to push until you're relieved. That's your scene. That's your actions. Some people can't handle that. It's it's rough, and sadly, a lot of people don't know if they can or can't until that moment. And that's right. oh, I just I just took a life. I'm very sorry that you got put through that, but let's gotta we're not the fight pushing. the fight ain't done yet. We got to keep going for yeah. for a little yeah. bit longer. I've um. You know, I've said to a lot of people, especially like nowadays, people, you know, on the on the Instagram, they'll be like, hey, you know, I'm just graduating college. I'm finally pursuing my thing, blah, blah, blah. And hey, good for you, man. That's great. These are some real things you need to consider. It's not or like when they're on the on the fence or things or if someone says, hey, I'm going to be an SRO. (laughs) Cool. Are you willing to use deadly force in a certain situation? You know, against a juvenile. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's. I, I think I think the SRO thing is so a double-edged sword because, yeah. yeah, you can be a mentor, you can be a guidance counselor, you can be, you know, the um, community, you know, you can be the, the billboard for why the police are a good thing. But are you willing in the exact same breath to use deadly force on one of your students or, you know, just period? And that is a hard pill to swallow. I, I don't think I could ever, I mean, don't get me That's wrong. Rough. Yeah. If I if I was to respond to an active shooter at a school, I'd have no problem doing what needs to be done. But imagine being the SRO in that school, and you you know like that's I don't think I could ever be an SRO for that very reason. I, I've started to see a change over my ten years of when I first came in. SRO was where you'd go to retire, disappear. Yep, yep. In my region, the last couple years, I started to see younger officers that wanted to be there, and that's a great thing. I didn't expect that to change, but I was excited to see it. It's not a realm I ever wanted to touch. That was my nightmare. 
there was another sergeant that was like, yeah, you might need to take this over. And if you, no, 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 no. That's not mm-hmm. where I need to be. But seeing that officers that want to be there for for better reasons than a cake gig to disappear and get weekends off. I, I like seeing that change. I hope it's like that more often. I'm not even yeah. going to go in Uvalde. That's a different story. Right, right, right. No, we're not going <laughs> to touch that either. But I'm just saying that, you know, it goes back to that mental toughness, that mental Certainly. preparedness of knowing what possibly could happen and, and applying it. And that's where when you're talking about the, the Volusia County shooting or just any shooting, I mean, I've I've always, even myself, when I was at the range and whatever, I in my mind, I'm always going be prepared to take a life like that is a that's no one wants to do that but you have to be prepared for the possibility of that happening and so we're gonna this is kind of going into the last part but having done that having you know been excuse me the trigger puller of a deadly shot what what are some of the things that go through your mind in that scenario a lot uh my first one my fiance now wife was working a detail uh so luckily my my sergeant got a hold of her went and talked to her told her firsthand my, how am i going to tell my family uh luckily my my wife was good at that because that's just weird hey mom hey dad um i just shot somebody mm-hmm. and of course my i don't come from a law enforcement family at all my parents have no idea here's how f- far out they are with understanding law enforcement i was like oh hey i'm gonna be working gangs and narcotics oh josh that's great one time i was like you know what i wouldn't mind riding a bike and doing traffic i enjoyed running traffic it's it's interesting to me the thi stuff is interesting oh my god you're gonna be on a motorcycle I'm like, mm-hmm. guys mm-hmm. uh <laughs> right so trying to transition that to especially f- fan friends family that aren't involved in law enforcement it it's weird on their end and it's weird on our end uh i will say on the course of the five years that my first one was to the uh my last one i was uh, absolutely more worried about the optics on a national level uh, my last one was april 2021 uh, i believe about a week before the Derek chauvin verdict was read for george floyd and the suspect in that it, shooting was a black male I was absolutely horrified for my family. I was in my head. I'm like, Oh, my face is about to be on national news. Uh, panicked, uh, later. And it ended up, even though you were confident in your decision absolutely. and everything that went with it, because <sighs> worst off is, uh, the next day, literal the next day after my incident was the Micaiah Bryant shooting. And I, I remember seeing that video and I'm like, wow, what a crack shot, and probably one of the toughest OISs I've seen of uh, victim right behind the suspect. Knife, if you miss your shots, either A, you hit the the victim, or B, the victim still gets stabbed. And that's a terrible situation to be in. I'm like, he nailed his shots, he took care of what he needed to, bravo, well done. And to see LeBron tweet about him, as that week went on, I was like, oh my god, um, how is this not me? How how am I not getting slammed? I I, I need to meet the Columbus officer at some point because I've, I've being a day apart. I'm like, oh my god, uh, mm-hmm. do what what do I need to do? I was 100 percent confident in my actions. The subject uh, 
disregarded everything, pulled a handgun out of his pocket, and I had a rifle already out on him. Um, I didn't find out until the next day that it was essentially a suicide by cop with his actions because he was trying to have sex with his daughter, and he got caught. I didn't know that until the Grady Judd press conference the next day. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I remember, again, not nervous in my actions, not nervous justifying my actions, but nervous about the optics nationwide of, I'm like, dude, I'm at nine years. Uh, I'm just trying to vest at 10. Like, that's that was my number one goal, first and foremost. And then to see that press conference the next day, I definitely felt some pressure off me, knowing that it wasn't going to get the traction in the, the media. And it's frustrating because I, you see officers do the right thing and still get slammed for it. And as an officer who's been through shootings, it makes me sick to my stomach because for 24 hours, I thought that was going to be me. And it's mm. still weird to see your name in the Associated Press. I mean, I'm in Central Florida, in Polk County, Florida. And my name popped up in the San Francisco Chronicle. And word of the wise, or word of warning to anybody who's ever in an officer-involved shooting, uh, don't panic when you get notification that the Washington Post has pulled your file. Uh, they actually keep a pretty thorough officer-involved shooting database. Because I remember the first time I heard that of, excuse me, what? Uh, the Washington Post? Why do they care about me? Uh, they they pull the file. So just... Mm little known fact i just want to make sure people know about that so you you've been in three shootings yes sir and it seems to be in in what i've experienced and what i've noticed in my career the officers that are involved in shootings seem to keep getting in shootings (laughs) what what is up with that that's a blessing and a curse a blessing because i i really put that a lot in my confidence and knowing what i can and can't do I'm confident in my actions in the fact of I know I can hit my target, I can take care of business, that I'm going to win the fight, that I'm going to go home. That's a lot of it. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons why officers would get more than somebody who hasn't. It's Let me bring up the quote. Uh, Tron Behind the Badge does an incredible law enforcement class. And I stole this from them because I was just blown away. Uh, Officers with a previous history of shooting were more than 51% as likely to shoot during a follow-up period as officers without a history of shootings. And that's the police officer characteristics and the likelihood of using deadly force by uh, James McIlvain. Uh, A lot of that is the confidence of the action. They know what they can, can do. They know what... For me as a sergeant, I was never going to let my guys be in that situation without me there. I, I knew that I could get them home. I wasn't going to put them in that spot by themselves. So I was told to slow down because, oh, Josh, you're not because I was in the shootings, but Josh, you got to let these young, younger guys grow. I'll coach them. I'll be right there with them. I'm not going to lead from the back. I'm going to be right there in front with them, and I'm not going to let them get hurt. And, I mean, that's a lot of it, I think. We feel an obligation after going through that, that, I can guide you through it. I can get you home. I can keep you safe. Not that the officer can't do it, but we're brotherhood here. I'm here for you. Uh, After my second shooting, I was a sergeant for one month. I remember pulling up everyone that was on scene that was involved. said, all right, guys, here's what's going to happen. 
to broke down the exact process. I was I was familiar with it. Of don't freak out. They're going to read you Miranda. They're going to do a round count. They're going to take photos. Be honest. If you don't remember, say that. Trying to bring that calmness of what to expect. Because I've gone in blind and it's dizzying. It's very overwhelming. Uh, I think that's, to me, that's one of the reasons why you officers that are involved in one are more likely to get involved in others. They're also not scared of it. Uh, You can't be scared to do what you need to do. If your actions are just, if you're following the law, you're following your general orders, you, you're, you're good. Be confident with it. So know that you're going to go home. Make sure you get home and do what you have to do. It's rough. I'm sorry you got to go through it, but you're in a gunfight for your life. You have to win. As you said earlier, the stakes are too high. The stakes are your life. Right. So... After being involved in shootings or a shooting, um, the decompression period has got to be completely outworldly. Like when when I had the interview with the guy that was involved in the active shooter, I that I was saying that I don't even know how you continue to like live a normal life after that. Same thing with being involved in a shooting or being shot at. How do, how does that process work? How did it work for you? And what would you recommend to people involved in? The week after a shooting is beyond weird. Depending on your agency, hopefully they give you some days that you're at home. Not back in the office immediately. Like, you need some time with your family and decompress. Chill, like you said, decompress. Absolutely. For me, it was home. Uh, On my last one, I had a kid, so I was happy to be home with uh, my son. The worst part about the decompression and the week after are couple of things the absolute bs calls you get from people that you don't talk to texting hey man just checking in on you if you need anything let me know like i i I never want to have lunch with you at work you we don't talk at all and your phone number is literally not even saved in my phone and oh hey let me know and i just wanted to start making ridiculous requests just to see if people would do it uh, that would. Hey, you want to clear out my gutters? Yeah, dude. I've been trying to get to that. Like that. That was the most. Truly, that was my number one most frustrating part. Is I, I know they're trying to be helpful, but I also think they're just trying to get inside information. The other frustrating part is room, like rumors, of I heard he wasn't armed. I heard it was a bad shoot. I heard this. I heard that. Then my the last one, my wife got the staff page for any critical instance in the area and it said uh, that I had shot the man and then a gun had fallen out of his pocket which I don't A. know that why, why that was in a staff page like that B. no he was pulling the gun out I have two witnesses that saw the exact same thing there's no doubt and you're so you're trying to fight that a little bit because you were there you know that's not accurate uh, and that's probably the most the more tense you are about it is you want to relax but you're like I want to tell my I I want people to know that I'm right I want people to know that I did the right thing and in due time it does come out there's a press conference and it's it's weird I mean social media now good god I've seen every bit of stories or comments after my incidents of oh no he wasn't armed it's the same rumors of Mm -hmm. oh that dirty cops planted the gun some of them are kind of funny because they're ridiculously over the top (laughs) 
but you're like, no, you weren't there. I, I was. I'm, again, confident in my actions. It's rough for a little bit. You start to recover. Tr- to me, the worst part is waiting for that official clearance. Um, in our region, you get about a week off, and then our chief would call the state attorney's office and the sheriff's office who's doing the investigation and say, hey, do you see any issues that would prevent him from coming back to work of do you think anything's iffy or is this good to go based off of your interviews, your preliminary stuff? Uh, they understand it takes time to get the formal. And if you get that good to go, and obviously your psyche valve, if you pass that, the state says, no, we don't see any issues at this point that are red flags that we need to time out and extend this, then you can go back to work. But that going back to work, you feel you feel good. It's a little bit of sense of normalcy. And then I've waited between six months and a year for mine to come back, the the formal letter. And the whole time there's that inkling in the back of your head of, why is it taking so long? Do they mm-hmm. know something I don't? Mm-hmm. Did I do something wrong? Did That's when the, the voices get a little crazy. Uh, that's That part is probably the roughest to me. You just want, you want to know that you did the right thing on paper. You want to know that you're not going to be indicted a year and a half later, like the other awesome dude that was in our class. Uh, Mm -hmm. That was my heart breaks for him right now. Uh, That's probably another time too, but yeah, a year and a half. I couldn't imagine after being back on the street, just be pop up. Mm -hmm. Oh, Hey, you got indicted. Yeah. Uh, To get that formal letter is a absolute breath of relief. And the other one was to get my rifle back. Sure. Now, when you, when you're in that kind of that in between, especially the day after when when the news breaks and everything is all over social media, do you recommend people avoiding social media altogether? <sighs> yes and no. I, I think, I, I looked at it every time just because I wanted to know what was going on in the world. I wanted to know if they were going to be trying to firebomb my police department for where my co-workers work or just what was going on what what's the vibes does everyone think I'm, I'm a piece of shit or do they understand kind of the circumstances with it and that's where 24 hours later I'm sitting on the my front lawn playing with my son watching the press conference and I had no clue I learned that oh yeah he was trying to have sex with his daughter I oh okay that I'm not gonna lie that helped my optics of oh mm-hmm. this is not one of those this is a guy that was trying to have sex with his daughter uh, who was a juvenile by the way and then it went the way it did again I didn't have any doubt in my actions so I kind of laughed again some of the ridiculous conspiracy theories jet fuel doesn't melt steel beams type stuff that people <laughs> post right. it, some of it's laughable some of it's infuriating I, I think it's going to be on a person by person basis I, I wouldn't say block at all. You, you, a, you can't. B, try and just do it with a grain of salt. Understand that these people on social media sometimes say the wacky stuff to stand out. Uh, scrub your social media if you're in law enforcement, for the love of God, uh, because they're going to be digging for it. Uh, your name is going to be out there. They're going to be looking, even if it's a grade A, clean, perfect shoot, if you do, if you post stupid stuff on social media, you think they're going to look at it? The answer is yes. They're going, they're going to, and they're going to use that against you. Now, 
going back to the first one because I feel like now you you know you're you're an old hat at it. You, you're, you're good. This is just another day of the office. Um, but but going back to the first one, did you have issues kind of assimilating back into your normal routine, sleeping, eating, things like that? I think that one is probably the easiest because I wasn't for for my first incident. I wasn't the only officer who fired there were four of us there so there were four of us together we had a good office with a good bit of chemistry so going back to work wasn't the issue uh i sleeping i didn't notice a ton of issues uh after my first one i did know i do remember having two kind of just moments uh the first one i was at a gas station not far from my house and pumping gas and dude gets out next to me starts pumping gas in his car he's shirtless and he's covered in tattoos from neck down and very similar to what reminded me of the guy that tried to kill me and I just I'm still pumping gas I froze just just froze that's it of oh I kind of snapped myself out of it that was the first one of I didn't try and reach for a gun I didn't try and jump across and kill this random guy who just happened to be pumping gas it just threw me for a loop I caught it and moved on and just I still remember it and then mm-hmm. I had a second one uh, my wife took me to Cirque du Soleil for my birthday we had front row seats great evening halfway through with like the dancing clown little little people I guess what you call them now all of a sudden I just start reliving the shooting just on a constant loop. I'm seeing the stuff going on stage, but I'm reliving it nonstop, like in a in a loop until the end of the show. I didn't get up, and run on stage. It kind of ended after the show, and I just told my wife, I was "Like, hey, I just want to let you know, for, thank you. I had a great evening. I was a little out of it in there. This is why. This was what was going through my head." And she she understood, but oh, I say she understood. She comprehended. Uh, it, it's very difficult for people to truly understand that I haven't been through it. And I don't mean to slander my wife, any law enforcement spouses out there. Uh, it, it's it's tough. I get that. I mean, my wife is a cop and my wife. So it, it's a blessing and a curse at times. Those are the two that my main instances that stood out uh, in public type deal. Sleeping up and down. I mean, I work narcotics at nights. So I'm never going to have a regular sleep schedule ever again. Uh so early on, I didn't notice too much of it. And I think just the job kind of compiles combined with that over time mm-hmm. that I, I can't say it's just the three shootings I've been in. I, it could be, it could just be the 10 years of the job. It could just be the 10 years. On yeah. It. yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of a battle I had. Like I started to take stuff at, as any salty cop gets 10 years in everything's bullshit. I, I'd have to break myself out of it at times. Uh, the smallest thing sets you off. Uh, and I started getting disconnected from my family, my wife, uh, my close friends. Like I'd still text, but I would skip a couple football games a year, which wasn't me. Uh, so I eventually like kind of, I realized it and stepped forward of just to them. I was like, guys, I'm just not doing great right now. Left of that, just letting them know I'm aware of it, that it's not them. And that's the easy admitting to them that I'm just not doing great, simple. Uh, giving them kind of a heads up, just to be aware. And the other, the biggest thing that helped me was when you're having a bad day, 
understanding it's okay to have a bad day. You don't always have to have a cause for it to be a bad day. Like I, I just not mad, but just nothing's making you happy. You're kind of depressed and like, it's just not a great day. What drives you even worse and get makes the day worse is when you start going, well, is it this? Is this why I'm pissed off? I know, no, that's stupid. Why would I be pissed off about that? And chasing down this rabbit hole. Once I just would either, either come to my wife go, today's not a good day. And just accept it for what it is. Sometimes there's a bad day. And moving on from there, that was really my turning point to start feeling a lot better. Just understanding that not every day is great. It could be, it could be PTSD. It could just be you didn't sleep great. It could be you played Warzone too late last night. Well, that's me most nights. But, but I mean that those were kind of the things for me to really start getting better over the past year, and stuff that my wife kind of just was patient with me about, which is good. How important was having your wife there to kind of your healing process? It was, it was good because I was again, her being a cop is a blessing in the fact that she understands it's not like oh i'm sorry if your spouse is out there like this oh my god how could you kill somebody i don't understand well you just shut him down forever about that there's no way he's going to talk about it because you're just you're going to make him look out to be a suspect uh and that's kind of a rough part but she understood she was very patient uh knowing that this job is rough it, and she she'd call me out on my bullshit at times which was needed mm-hmm. and I, it, it was definitely a blessing it, having a family was a good thing to help you moving forward uh, kind of a, a grounding at that what you're fighting for every day right yeah and I, I think that's the most important thing is like what I really want to drive home is that, and this goes for any critical incident you could be involved in, not necessarily just a shooting or just the job in general, but there's no reason to keep it all in. God, and especially, no. you know, lean on your friends, your family, whoever can be your, that person for you and, and, and letting it out um, is such a healthy process. Did you, you don't, you didn't tell me to go pound sand, but did you <laughs> seek any kind of uh, therapy or anything like that? to get you through it i went to eap once in a private session and it just didn't click i i didn't feel super comfortable the eap was running a group chat that was guided by a close friend within the agency went to that but i wasn't close with a lot of these officers so i didn't really vent to them uh and that died out after about six months uh so i didn't I went back and forth. I, I don't know if I was scared to. I don't know if I was scared of the PTSD label or a combination of I was just ignorant. Oh, I don't need that. I don't need that. But I also put part of it as my group of friends from college that I text all day, every day in a group chat that I can be 100% honest with. I don't have to put the whole burden on my wife. I don't have to put all that on her every day that I can vent to them and let them know I'm not doing great and they don't have to do anything else keep sending me stupid memes keep talking about baseball keep playing Warzone and that was my kind of I don't want to say guidance but my just way to 
get grounded again, get get my feet under me, understand that not every day is great, and keep talk, just keep living life. Uh, I I didn't pers- heavily pursue the therapy stuff. I also had a really bad in- uh, therapy interaction after for my psyche eval after my second shoot that they did not understand law enforcement at all. Yeah. And that's something that I talk about a lot too, is that it's so important to understand the culture yes. of law enforcement. If, if, and this goes to, cause I know I've got a couple, um, mental health professionals that have been, that have been listening in. And, uh, when we get to the questions, one's from one of them, if you're, if you've never, and I, I posted this on my story a couple of days ago, how important it is to have some idea of, the culture itself if you've never been in the job oh my god i don't know you better do a ride along a week or something because it's it's such a it's it's such a different beast so after my second shooting it was a suicide by cop situation guy ended up pulling a bb gun trying to get get himself killed because his wife had just died uh he didn't get he didn't die just lost part of his leg in the shooting uh, i go to the psych eval afterwards and the incredible doctor that I went to after my first one that does dedicated to law enforcement pro bono for uh, psyche valves for law enforcement after critical incidents. Dude is amazing. Dr. Curtis Cassie out of Lakeland. I cannot recommend him enough. Guy's amazing. Uh, I was disappointed. He was out of town for like three weeks. There's no way uh, they could get us into him. So they found a local I think it was like a church that had counseling. Those people, I truly thought I was going to get red flagged because to be, they're like, oh, so how how do you feel about the incident? And I'm like, fuck that guy. And they're like, what? And I'm like, screw that guy. He pulled a BB gun to try and get officers to kill him, to take his life because he was too much of a coward to either A, do it himself or B, push to get stronger I'm like he wanted to put that burden on my patrol shift to go through that that people don't already it's already rough enough and you just willingly try and put that on somebody I was like screw that guy and this lady was I don't want to say panicked but it was not the conversation she was expecting to have I don't know if she expected me to come in there crying of uh, about it I, I was pissed about that and I'm glad he went to prison because putting somebody through an officer of all shooting willingly is disgusting. And I was pissed. I was absolutely pissed. It's not the first guy who said, ah, I'm going to go down in a big fight. You know what? I'll give you that. that that's some courage. I'm not saying I, I like it, but to just put that on somebody for no reason, just because you're, that was not cool. And I thought I truly thought I was going to get red flagged and not be allowed back to work, uh, but mm-hmm. somehow I still cleared. Right, but again, it goes back to the counselor or therapist, or whatever, not yeah. no clue. understanding None. the culture. Yeah. So, all this has been great, man. I do have a couple questions, and I was just looking through them, and I think we covered most of the topics of them. But awesome. I'll just go through them real quick. Um, yeah, this is absolutely great. I want to thank you again for your time. For Thanks this. for the invite. Uh, absolutely. So the first one. It says, what was your oh shit moment? I'm, I'm guessing she meant in the individual shootings, which I think we talked about most of them in depth. But, you know, I think 
you might agree, it kind of goes back to reading people. You you kind of see when we've gone past the point of no return. The oh shit moment can has also happened before that gun p- comes out because we've all can tell when that uh they're not complying and you can tell that it's going down that road. And this last one, he wasn't complying. Said you're gonna have to shoot me. I'm ready to die tonight. And I was pretty much going through my head, oh shit, this is what's going to happen before that pistol broke his pocket. So yeah, uh, it, it changes a little bit, but being through a couple of them, you can see that oh shit moment a little earlier of going, oh, this is not going to end great tonight. Right, and, and I'm going back to your first one. You knew something was up because he was stuck in that loop of the, Absolutely. the you know, hitch head, shoulders, knees, and toes. And <laughs> and so you knew that something was about to happen. And I'm sure that where he was targeting, you knew that it was probably going that route. Yeah, when I saw the shifter, and he ended up having a crappy Uncle Mike's holster in his waistband, which is why he was going towards the seatbelt area. I, I never thought he was trying to take off his seatbelt, but that's just where his hand was going. Yeah, so, I, you know, it, it goes back to reading people. It goes back to knowing yep. the situation and what could possibly thing when the hand drops down, you know, bad things are about to happen. Yeah. Um, the next question comes from this guy, slugger James. We've talked a long time. He's, he's been one of the first followers on the page says, uh, what are techniques or advice given for dealing with the stress of having been through an officer involved shooting? Be honest with yourself is my biggest one now of be, if you, from a time that I wasn't honest with myself of not doing great uh, it's a lot easier now knowing that I am of knowing that today's not a good day of telling my friends nah, my, my head's not all here that I'm not going to make the event this weekend uh, knowing that you need time and sometimes you, you are just going to have to back off knowing that you didn't do anything wrong you have to remind yourself that out loud sometimes of no I, I did the right thing it was a bad thing I went through but I'm going to keep fighting. Kind of mentally reset yourself of whatever it takes of something that you enjoy. Finding out, mine is barbecue and war zone now. So, I mean, mm-hmm. finding that to reset. You, you didn't do anything wrong. Understand that. And I'm sorry that you had to go through that, but it's with you. It, it's going to be. And don't feel shame that it's with you a lot. Yeah, I agree. Uh, my buddy Pork Roll, he wants to know a universal step-by-step how-to would be great. <laughs> That's coming in the book. <laughs> okay. Or you can come see me December 12th in Tampa for Tripwire South as next local class I'm running. There you go. Come on down, and, and we can we can get some lunch as well. No kidding. Um, this one, not uh, not a question, so it's just a comment. This is from actually um, – Kevin Malone, he was a he's a under sheriff out in Nevada. He says, uh, "Do the hard work beforehand. Train your body and your mind for the event." Oh my goodness, that, that's the perfect summary. If you do that, odds are very, very likely in your favor that you can win, overcome that battle. And with that, that is absolutely the perfect summary, and I love it. That was a great description of it. You do that, yeah. you, as you said, you got to stack those cards in your in your favor. So what if you prep that, you don't have to be Dwayne the Rock Johnson. You don't have to be the biggest, fastest, strongest. But if your brain is there and your muscle memory, your 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 basics, your fundamentals are there, you can win. Anybody can win. Yeah, I agree. 
and it, it, all all of it. You know, the entire conversation you've been saying, like, you know, get know your laws, go to the range, train your body. You know, shooting under stress. Um, one of the best drills I ever did was you know running to the fence and back, and then we're gonna put rain uh, game changer rounds down range. Absolutely, because if think about how your body physically reacts to stress. And you're going to be shaking like this. Like, think about the first time you ever pulled your gun. Imagine if you had to put those ra- those ra- rounds down range. Like, those are things you really need to think about. And if you've never thought about it, hopefully this episode is is that game changer for you. Let me go back to a previous question real quick. What you yep. were saying about going to the range, that's something that you have to do, in my opinion, after you're involved in a shooting. Uh, you need to go shoot by yourself on the line. So you can hear those rounds, you can pull that trigger, you can get that little bit of that confidence back knowing that you're doing it correctly. The other thing that you have to do, in my opinion, is shoot on a line with other people shooting around you. Uh, Especially if you were either A, shot at, or B, in a shooting involved with other officers, to hear those gunshots around you, those percussions are going to hit you differently. It's going to feel very weird. I want you to fight through that on the range before you hit the street rather than being on the street and it throwing you for a loop. So I do have one last question, the one I kind of teased earlier, but before I do that, cause this is, it's kind of, it's like multiple paragraphs. It's, it's quite a long, wonderful. Um, before I do that, I do want to talk about one other thing. So you did say you're recently retired. What percented that for you? Is that something you were working towards? Like you knew you were going to get out early or is it something that just, the way the world's been, you're like, you know, it's time to hit the ejector button. What, how'd that go? It's very much a combination of a lot of different things. No, I wasn't forced out. I wasn't told, oh my gosh, you've been in three shootings. They're like, listen, man, we go. don't want number no. four. You got to go. No, Here's the no. Door. I even asked my captain uh, after my third, I said, what happens if I get a fourth? He goes, and? And? He goes, if I don't care. Uh, so, oh, all right. I mean, my agency had my back through them all. Uh, when I hit about year five or so, uh, we vest at 10 years and I wasn't unhappy, but I was like, let me hit 10 years was always my goal. I'm not leaving before I get vested. It's too important. And let me just reevaluate what's going on with my life. What opportunities are there? There's nothing. All right. I can stay. I can keep pushing. Uh, and year nine came up. I get involved in my last OIS. And it, still, I'll, I'll reevaluate at 10. Uh, my last one occurred. And I remember texting my wife the next month. I was like, you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm done. I'm very confident to say that. I've, To quote Andy Stump, cleared hot. Uh, I give my career a C average. I've done more than some and way less than others. And that's how I felt. Like I've accomplished things I never truly thought I would accomplish in going into law enforcement with no understanding of it. Of I never thought I'd throw a tracker on a car, be a part of a wiretap, make entries on search warrants, uh, anything like that. Be involved in crazy murder cases. Just I'm like, I've checked my boxes. I have a family now. I'm confident. I'm happy with what what I've done. And based on kind of my past, a little bit with the the, what I've been through, I was like, you know what? I have, I have a family. I have 
a son with a second son on the way, I'm I'm ready. Um, I'm not gonna leave with regret. Uh, it's I want to benefit my family, and I started just seeking out opportunities and found one local. Very happy. My stress is bottomed out. You know, making just as good money to be home more often, and I'm more relaxed. I cannot emphasize that enough. There's a I'm going to paraphrase the quote, but back when I had Tom Rizzo on a couple months ago, he's like, when you look at your career, you can have, treat it like a sports car or you can treat it like a Toyota Camry, right? <laughs> like a Toyota Camry is reliable. It'll get you to work day in, day out, you know, and, and never really do much else, you know. But then you're always going to look at the guy with the sports car and go, man, I wish I had that. Or you can yep. treat it like a sports car and you can put the full throttle out and just go, and, and you know, really, really stretch out the pavement. And when you get done, be like, you know what? I got nothing else. I'm good with it. You know, like I don't need anything else. And that's how you can see your career. You can treat it Toyota Camry. You can treat it sports car. And it really sounds like you had the sports car. You were, you put the rubber on the road. You made it go. And now when you look at where you are now, you know, retired life, um, you have no regrets, right? That you, no, you, feel, you check the boxes. I feel confident with what I've done. I laugh a little bit knowing that my sons are going to grow up and be like 10 years old and be like, dad was a cop. What? And just be right. confused by it because they're not going to know me as that. It's mm-hmm. different. It's I'm happy about it. Yeah. I, I look at that now, you know, I don't have kids yet, but I do look at my life and I'm like, you know, my kids will never know about, <laughs> you know, this, yeah. this part of my life or anything, you know? And it's, it's crazy thinking about that, that like, but I was, when I was a kid, my dad was retiring as I was kind of getting in those formative years. So I knew of the lore, but I didn't know of the, of the truth of the story. You know what I mean? Yeah. So almost kind of makes me sound more like a superhero at that point. <laughs> like, oh, no, really? You did that? So then the, the big fish stories can get a little bit bigger. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the other perk Obviously. of 10 years is HR 218. I can still carry under HR 218 now for forever nationwide right so i mean there you go you got even more to take away from that yeah so first it's more of a statement so she says i feel like young ftos and newly promoted sergeants have moved away from preparing the newbies for traumatic calls including officer involved shootings she says i feel like this is because there's too much emphasis on de-escalation yeah um i definitely see that and that goes into the Oh, I don't want to get use of force because that's more paperwork. My sergeant's going to be pissed and stuff like that. Uh, I think it's scared to get, I don't want to say get your hands dirty, but get work done. Uh, take care of business that needs to get done. And young FTOs and young sergeants, that's all we have. The veteran guys are gone. It, and it's brutal to be able to or chase training people for critical incidents because you don't know how they're going to take it until it happens. It's very rough. Uh, Seeking out additional classes is getting your mindset right is the strongest thing that you can do. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yes, older older officers and older sergeants are going to see more, but they could also be just as lazy as the young FTO. The young FTO and young sergeant, young sergeant, take it from me. You, they can hopefully get promoted quickly for good reasons because they bust their ass on the street. I would really hope that a young sergeant is busting their ass to train every bit of knowledge that they have to the young officers. I 
it's a little bit of ad. There's so many different factors that can go into it. The region of the country. Would, would I still be a cop if I were starting freaking Oregon? Probably not. Uh, my career would have been much, much shorter. Or I would be in a training depot somewhere and I would mm-hmm. never hit the street again. It, I can't just say it's just... I can't blame young FTOs because... I mean, if they're a young FTO, hopefully they weren't forced on it. They're at least eager to try and train. They just don't have a ton of experience. I'd rather have that FTO than the 20-year FTO that hides under the tree. Uh, It's rough. Policing's in a tough spot right now. The the experience gap is giant, and it's only getting larger. For sure. Yeah. I, uh, at my my old agency, before I left, um, well, a couple things. First one, for me, mentally... When I was thinking of, all right, eventually I'm going to promote, my kind of line in the sand was I would want to promote when I felt like there was nothing else that I needed to do for me on the street. And then it kind of becomes the, um, you know, what can I instill on the the new generation of cops and what can I help them uh, achieve? So I feel like the way I see it is if you still think that you got a lot left in the tank for yourself, maybe don't promote just yet. You know what I mean? Because when you get those stripes... It's not the you show anymore. You now have to kind of give it out to the rest of the squad that you're over. Absolutely. And that's where, I mean, I had some of the best times as a young sergeant because I loved showing up younger officers, but then showing them why. Why I wanted to search this car. Why I knew this dude had a gun. Those things like that. Uh, Good sergeants need to want it. They need to want to be a sergeant for the right reasons. Uh, I knew that I'd been through some stuff that I could spin up and teach these ki- young kids young kids, oh, I sound old now uh, <laughs> right, that back in my day t- yeah, that's how, so many <laughs> stories, when I was in Haida and I'm like, I'm sure they probably rolled their eyes a bit at that but uh, I, you have to want it, you have to want to be able to teach it, you want to want them to grow to make it so I'm not scared that they're going to get hurt by themselves so I was either A, try to be there for them or B, try and teach them to the spot that I was confident in them Right, right. And then going back to the uh, the staffing issue in law enforcement, which we could do a whole five hours on it. But I, when I was at my agency before I left, significantly before I left, I was like, you know, we. I feel like, you know, I'm a, I'm a sports fan, uh, and I think of it as like a rebuild, right? Like you know, like when when all the when all the good players either get chopped out or they retire or anything and then you got nothing but rookies and it's like all right like we're gonna have like five years of losing seasons but eventually we might get back to the playoffs that's what i feel like law enforcement is right now is that we are in a massive rebuild that's a horrifically accurate analogy right now the farm system is uh dry right now right and you are just getting whatever recruits you can get and it's like all right we're gonna have to we're gonna have a few turns around before uh before we have a playoff team and you and i have had conversations about this offline of i don't see policing as a 25 year career anymore no Uh, i I really don't uh with the stress that's being put on everybody it's not a job where you go home and turn it off Either you're burnt out because you're tired from understaffing, uh, the media's at you, the complaints that come in, it, it it gets at you 24 hours a day. And I would love to see policing shorten their vesting in their pensions to 10 and 15 years. I think that, yeah, you could get these young kids out of college, chase it for 10 years, get them a college degree through it. 
and move on with their lives and look at yeah. the life experience they have. They can talk to anybody. They have a great foundation for them, have some of a pension going in the long term so they invest it or prep for the future correctly, and they're, they're not burnt to the ground at the end right. of their career. They still have yeah. a lot to live for, a lot to grow with. Uh, I would Just me stepping away at 10 years, I'm like, I feel re- revitalized in life right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, stepping away from a lot of that stress and I mean I would that's and just stay in there 10-15 years and then evaluate guys yeah I agree I agree completely I you know it's unfortunately I didn't hit my 10 but um, I just I got to the point where I couldn't see myself doing it for 20 more years 25 more years 30 years whatever it was that hit me and you know, when, when I'm looking at where I would be at those times, you know, 55, 60 years old, I'm like, no, I'm just, I, what's the point at that point? You know, I'm going to retire just to drop dead basically. And I just, I wasn't about it. So, um, I, I agree completely. I hope in the next, you know, five, 10 years, law enforcement relooks at everything and be more military based in their retirement ideas and things like that. Or like, Service we had contracts. a conversation earlier this year. Yeah, do contracts. Exactly. Like, hey, you're going to sign up for five years at a time. And yeah. you could either decide to re-enlist or you can pull everything out. And there's no true penalty on it. You just kind of get what you put in. I agree. And that's that. All right, so go back into the uh, my, my former sergeant's questions. Now is the questions part. She's got three of them. How important is running OIS shootings mentally and with another person to surviving the incident and resiliency after the incident? I think running it in your head, that to a degree, it's running through your or should be running through your head every call you're going to. Is this nine one hang up going to turn into that? Is it's kind of it helps pass the time to me. That's part of the reason why I did it. I like thinking about all right, how is this going to go sideways? What am I going to do if this goes sideways on this traffic stop? Where's my nearest cover? What am I adjusting to? Where's the nearest cover here? How would I? Would I have time to grab my rifle? Would I have time to grab a shield? Uh, you're all should always be running through these calls through your head. Even the the crazy person in the lobby that comes in to make a complaint on like George H. W. Bush, just something insane <laughs> that can go right. sideways. And you you're gonna get if you don't do that, you're gonna get caught off guard. And all it takes is once, and you don't make it. It, that's part of the reason why this job is so stressful. Everyone wants to kill you at some point. You just don't know when it's going to be, where it's going to be. Right. My my current agency has a thing for new recruits when they do canine tri- canine day, and uh, you know you lay a track, and then the the dog comes and gets you. Well, while you're doing that, and you're watching the dog and the handler kind of walk all the way up, the instructor you're with goes, "I could kill him now, and now." And now to kind yep. of instill in the rookie going, oh, and I've said this before. The reason you didn't die on the road today is because someone chose not to kill you. Yeah, that's it. You know, it, you think of, you know, I've gotten pictures sent to me when I was working the street of, you know, someone from a freaking uh, balcony taking a picture of when I was directing traffic. Cool. You know, it's kind of funny. Like, oh, look at me. I look goofy. But if someone wanted to, they could kill me from that exact same angle. Yep. And I mean, being a Sims instructor, you see it, you go, oh, mother of God, uh, we have some work to do, to say the least. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's it's that keeping that in your mind. And again, it sucks. It's not a it's not a great thought to keep in your mind that, all right, how can I die in this scenario? Um, Don't think but that'll like keep that. you alive. How am I going to win? 
how if I start taking rounds, what am I going to do to win? There you go. Um, the next question: Why are agencies becoming more hesitant to prepare their officers for this scenario beyond firearms qualifying? They don't know how. It is my opinion. Uh, looking back at my training that I went through, I wasn't super impressed with it. Uh, I don't think agencies know what to do uh, to, to truly prep for this. They check a box. Oh, we did active shooter training. Oh, we did Sims training. All right, well, we did the same scenarios five years in a row. Go in, shoot bad guy, gun, leave. That's it. No one has thought through of, okay, you did it. Yep, you killed the bad guy. Cool, high five, move on. All right, so why are we not pulling them into a room right after uh, they do a, a simunition shoot? Sit them down and go, okay, this is so-and-so from the state attorney's office. Uh, walk us through what happened. Can they can they articulate their actions? No one's prepping mm-hmm. for that after. It, the, shooting paper and understanding the case law are fine, but no one's prepping for the next step. Nobody is. I've never seen that on, at an in-service. Oh. If so, please let me know. But that's really what I kind of focus this class on is stuff that's not talked about. Yes, you, you, ha- you carry a gun. Yes, you shoot somebody uh, if you need to use deadly force. All right, next chapter. This is Avenue A. This is where we're going to turn down. Not, what did you do to de-escalate? They're just hawked on the de-escalation term, which is a, it's an empty term that... It's just a, it's a buzzword. Yeah, that's all it is. It's a buzzword that they, sounds good. Yes, we added uh, de-escalation into all of our statutes or into all of our general orders. Oh, cool. The officers are going, okay, so we have de-escalation training. What does that even mean? Yeah, you know, I, now, now that you've said that, I propose anybody listening that's part of a training cadre or whatever to in because my agency just did active shooter training to work into it that next part literally while their blood is still going while they're still out of breath going all right sit on down and here's what you got here's the next step because that's true that's something that nobody thinks about i remember uh we had an officer involved shooting I was working uh I was working the road then, but I was also a part time crime scene and they called me in to take the officers' guns, yep. uh uniforms, all that stuff. And did you, you take know photos how of them? I did. Yeah. Took photos of them in their uniform as question, they were seen. How, how could they be identified as a police officer? Right. But do you know how it was to like take my lieutenant's gun away from him? Yeah. And like I could only imagine how he felt that this, you know, this I wasn't a rookie, but this young cop taking my gun um, because I just shot at a guy that tried to shoot at us. Like those are mental things that you like, especially when you're like, all right, I know I did nothing wrong. Why am I being treated like a criminal? You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. crazy stuff that we don't even think about. So the I'm whole really process isn't taught. And it, I was very lucky to be, to have three other people there with me on my first one. Otherwise I, I can't imagine the overwhelming feeling to be a single officer and I can't imagine not having what, another witness, perhaps. That, that's scary. It's truly scary. All right. And the last question. How should an officer prepare their families, especially kids, to survive the aftermath they'll experience, such as media, peers, coworker comments, etc.? First off, you don't need to tell your kids. I, I don't think I would tell my kids ahead of time of, Daddy could kill somebody today. A kid's going to say that incorrectly. Uh, that's going to need to be a sit down after the fact of somebody tried to hurt me today and I made sure they couldn't. 
you don't I keep depending on the age you can adjust don't tell a five-year-old what you tell a 17 year old do do your best to put it to terms that they can understand without scaring them in the process uh, I'm sure it's going to come up for my son one day did you ever hurt anybody well we'll talk about that one day uh, I'm still here and I don't do that anymore uh, your wife if you have a spouse go ahead and talk to them of understanding of what I do is dangerous I hope they comprehend that I'm not saying I'm going to die. I'm not saying I'm going to get killed. There is that possibility. Just remind them. Say, I will do everything I can to come home. Is the easiest way to... I will fight. I will be there. I will do everything I can. Uh, there's not a whole lot more that you can super do to prep them for the absolute worst case scenario. Uh, and that's It's rough, but you also don't want them paranoid that you're going to die every day either. That's a very rough side of it because if, if you harp it too hard they're going to implode uh, every single day when you leave that door you still got to be positive no I'm doing I'm doing training I'm feeling great uh, I'm hitting my shots at the range I'm thinking about it I'm going to come home I'm, uh, I wouldn't tell them anything else other than I'm going to come home mm -hmm. and you guys need to remember that when you train when you go to the gym when you go to the range when you do BJJ, whatever it might be, you're you're fighting for yourself, but you're fighting for your family Absolutely. too. To make sure that you can continue to provide and be there and and retire at ten years and and go work uh, a, a nice cushy retirement gig <laughs> like like my friend here. Um, another thing, just to cap all that off, uh, again going back to Under Sheriff Malone out in Nevada, he sent me this book. Uh, I've read it. I've read it again. I'm recommending it to everybody. It's emotional support or emotional survival for law enforcement. Kevin Gilmartin, a guide for officers and their families. I mean, it has everything. Um, I, this should be required reading in police academies. If it's, if it's not, they did issue that in my academy. It's a little too early to click. I still have it. Uh, I need and that's what I was going to say. I think it should be given and then it should be, Hey, yeah. read this again at, you know, five years, like whatever. A time and, capsule. Exactly, exactly, and see how how it resonates with you then Absolutely. as, as it moves through your career. Uh, Josh, this was great. I really appreciate everything you said, all your wisdom. I appreciate the class. When's your next class, and how do people sign up for it? We have a couple new classes coming up that just got announced. Uh, December 12th in Tampa uh, in Ybor City, so lunch is easy access. Uh, December 12th. Uh, just booked a date in York County, Pennsylvania in January. I believe we're shooting for a class in November in Streetsboro, Ohio. Uh, this is again with Tripwire South uh, based out of Pennsylvania and we have a Tampa office. Uh, we're trying to put more classes together now. Uh, also, we're looking to build a or we are building right now a surveillance class. It's going to be a couple of days. That one's going to be fantastic. Uh, and also next March, I'm booked with Tripwire to teach at their Bravo 3 conference in Daytona in March 20th to the 23rd. It's going to be huge. Uh, 50 vendors. Uh, I think we're bringing in like 25, 30 instructors. Uh, breakout sessions. Uh, guns. Bomb. Or uh, canine. Bombs. Tons of stuff there, tactical stuff, gangs. I'm going to be teaching OIS. Uh, you can pick and choose the classes you want to go to. There are going to be two-hour breakout sessions with 
killer instructors. And then the third day is going to be range day, practicals, uh, fighting, dog stuff, range. It's it's going to be huge. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to be there. Uh, I'm absolutely looking forward to it. And I'm trying to get as many classes on the books right now as we possibly can. Because I'm awesome. very excited. Uh, TripwireSouth.com. Look up Tripwire South. That'll get you where you need to go. We're on Instagram. Uh, you can hit me up on Instagram as well at, at J McDiddles with a Z, of course. Uh, it's <laughs> absolutely ridiculous, and my wife hates it, but that's what it is. All right, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate everything you do. This is definitely a topic that needs to be um, talked about a lot more. Uh, hopefully, before the incident happens, because you know as is happening and after it might be too late. So everybody listening, I hope you guys got something from it. Hit up Josh, hit up tripwire, hit up Dan, great people, great classes. And, uh, hopefully we'll see you at a class sometime soon. All right. We will catch you next time, Josh. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you. Everyone listening. Stay tuned. We'll be right back to close it out. Shake me down. Not a lot of people left around. Who knows now? Softly laying on the ground. left around Alright folks, that is the episode today. Once again, thank you to my buddy Josh. Tripwire Solutions, go check them out. They're uh, they're an amazing uh, training company. They do a lot with explosives and, and canines and things like that. We're going to have Dan Gaskin, the owner, on the show sometime next year. Listen, so I want to talk about next year real quick and then we're going to talk about this past year that just happened. But next year, way less cop talk way less shop talk it's it just it's going to be over a year at that point since i stepped away from the job and um you know i noticed on one of my more recent episodes this at towards the end of the year um you know i don't really get my it doesn't rustle my jimmies talking about oh what's your favorite car stop whoa, whoa, whoa. i'm way more concerned and interested in making sure that cops stay alive that cops enjoy life and you know that cops I think enjoy life. That's the best thing. So, and, and get better, I guess, you know, get better, whatever aspect they want to do. So while I will still talk a little bit about training, um, as far as on the job training, you know, street cop training, love those guys, tripwire, um, going to be working with blue to gold. They were supposed to be on this past year and we couldn't make it work, but all those different training companies and more, I'm going to have them coming in, but we're also going to be talking fitness, nutrition. We're going to be talking financial wealth, mental health, relationships, everything that if you go back to the, um, the one with Ben from the Hey My Man podcast, when we talk about here comes the hug police, that's kind of what it's going to be. But every once in a while, we're going to have a, a cop episode. Um, but that's not going to be the main focus. So hopefully you guys um, join me as we carry on and, and move forward in, in a direction that's very important to me. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Now let's talk about season two of the 10A podcast. Where, how did we get here? What episodes were the best? What episodes did I like the most? Let's, let's go ahead and take a look at the top five episodes of season two of the 10A podcast. So right off the bat, talking about drunk cops, the first 
most popular episode of season two, which is also the number five most popular pot or episode of all time for me, is number two four two four, which is no court, no fines, just podcast, drunk cops with Frank, the Red Ninja, poorly made police memes, Red Gun Squad was in there for a minute, and I think that was it. An amazing uh, episode that we recorded back in August of 2021, right before I moved out of my apartment. It was a complete shit show. Eight hours of drinking. I consolidated into whatever the episode length ended up being. I think like four hours or whatever. It was insane. Um, a lot of stuff was cut out, but a lot of stuff was great. And if you liked that episode, you're going to love episode in two weeks, Drunk Cop Jersey Boys, where it's me, Frank, Red, Red comes back. Red Gun Squad comes back for a special thing. Deputy Nobody, uh, Bindi, a.k.a. Amy. Who else joined us? Um, I think that's it. So I'm still editing that. I've got two hours edited. That is hilarious. So you're going to enjoy that. So that's going to be in two weeks. But number one is uh, number 204, No Court, No Fines, Just Podcast, Drunk Drunk Ops with the Red Ninja and Frank Castle, plus a couple surprise guests. So check that one out, back 204. The number two most popular episode of season two is Shit My FTO Said with Deputy Hookem and Nick from LEO Combatives. That one was just pure information. I think there was actually, that's about to be the number sixth most popular episode of the 10-8 podcast of all time. Um, it was so much information. I, I, I made that one specifically because there's a, I have a lot of people that follow me that are at the time or even now that are recruits um, in the in the academy. They're trainees and not trannies, but trainees. If there are trannies, that's cool too. But that's not what I meant to say. Um, <laughs> but that they're in in process, and you know, I feel like that episode was about two and a half hours of just pure information and a lot of jokes too. Because obviously, Deputy Hookem is amazing and hilarious, and Nick as well is uh, amazing and hilarious. He was going to be on a drunk cop's at one point, but he uh, he kind of gave up drinking. Good for him. Uh, the next one we have is episode 211, The Street Academy, with Jeff Smith of Tr- Street Cop Training. Jeff Smith is amazing. If you listen to I Survive, he actually composed the music that went along with the episode, so that's just a, a big, uh, big up to him. Uh, he, and he's going to help me produce music for season three. So we're going to hear more from Jeff, Jeff Smith then. And we're actually going to be, he's going to be back on the show as well. Um, but Street Academy talks about how to be safe, how to get through. Um, we talk a little bit about working dope. And then, of course, just remaining safe in a m- bunch of different ways. So you definitely want to check that out. Number 211 is going to be, uh, so number three on the on the season two. But Street Academy with Jeff Smith. Number 217 is the next one. That's going to be episode number four on our list. And that's going to be Never Give Up with Brad Gilmore. So another uh, Street Cop Training uh, collab. Brad Gilmore is amazing. That episode, I remember I, I remember when we did it, I was expecting the conversation to go one way and it went a totally different way. And we talked about, you know, it really kind of solidified to me that it's important to talk about personal growth and development. And... That's what that episode is. Never give up. If you're told, no, you can't go to a training or no, you're not going to be this detective or you're not going to make it here. Um, he, in this episode, was saying, no, just keep, if it's something you want, keep pushing forward and you're going to get it. Again, that's episode 217, Never Give Up with Brad Gilmore. That was the fourth most popular episode of the 108 Podcast, episode two. And number five is going to be the first episode of season two, and that is going to be The Calm in the Chaos with Nick Wilson. Nick Wilson has become a very near and dear friend of me of mine. 
very smart, very um, empathetic, and he cares so much about police officers and making sure that they're safe. They're, you know, they're put together. Everything is just working for them. So that's what they talk about. I remember I came up with the, the topic because it was when I was dealing with everything um, in 2021 with, with my friends and uh, my, my sister passing away and I needed, I needed calm in the chaos. And, you know, it, it's a big deal to realize that everyone's looking to you for answers and you don't have them yourself. And we talk about exactly why that happens. So Nick Wilson's going to be on the show in season three. He, like I said, he's a great friend of mine and a great friend of the show. We're going to be talking with him next year or after October for, um, organizational betrayal and toxic leadership. So we always talk about how to be a good leader. This time we're going to talk about, you know, shitty leadership. And we have a lot to talk about in that realm. And then, uh, so that's the top five and another, other cool episodes to check out. We've got identity crisis with Jenna Romano an evening with Mike Chitwood, uh, social media cops with Nick German, unfuck your body with Erica Gaines. Robert Peel is rolling in his grave with Dave and it goes on and on and on a lot of great episodes this year, guys, I'm going to go ahead and look through the episodes and just kind of talk about some ones that really stood out to me as I was making them. Um, you know, obviously to me, the biggest one of them all, was Dave Grossman. The fact that Dave Grossman was um, so eager to be on my show, just my little shitty podcast, meant so much to me and says so much about him and who he is. Special thanks to, and if you guys follow any drama on Instagram, then you're going to find this one pretty funny, but special thanks to, um, I don't even know what her Instagram handle is anymore, but her name was uh, salty something. Now she's, I think squib squib load. I don't know, but honestly, ha- before we had drama, we talked all the time and she was a great person. I don't know what happened. So I apologize if she ever hears this, if anyone wants to snitch back to her, I do apologize how we got so, so twisted up. I do apologize for real. But the reason that Dave Grossman was on my show is because I was talking to her about Dave Grossman and she goes, Oh, just hit him up. He's super, um, energetic about anything that has to do with law enforcement and helping them out. And I did, and he was, and that was, that was that Dave Grossman was amazing to have on the show. Uh, go listen to that episode. Uh, it was episode 223, which is important to me because 223, that's my lucky number. So yeah. Um, other episodes that you might want to go check out crime prevention through environmental design with Art Hushin. I feel like that episode kind of flew under the radar for a lot of people. It doesn't, it's not a sexy topic, but it, it's it's fun. I really enjoy that a lot. Chris Matakis, um, he was uh, episode two twelve jujitsu mindset. I always like talking the the jujitsu episodes. Um, he was someone that kind of hit me up out of nowhere, promoting his book and his class and his teachings, and I think it was great. It really again another mindset episode that I really enjoyed. The two punk rock cops. Those were episodes that I really wanted to get going because I, again I feel like that we tapped into a vein that didn't even know existed so that was cool i think every episode of the 10a podcast oh check out number 203 addicted to improvement with Ginny burton we're gonna have a very similar episode like that in season three not with Ginny, but someone else uh keith thornton give me a backup episode 221 uh he is the dispatcher that was part of the um officer ella french shooting just and he gained notoriety because of his his um poise during that crazy incident 
uh, Badass Cookery with Kevin Pakencop. Just so many good episodes, guys. There, I'm looking at this list, and I can't pick, you know, favorites. Aaron Loman was on the show, Huge Fat Loser. Uh, we had a cop from Germany come in. So anyway, I'm looking at these episodes, and most of the episodes, except for this last month or two, because summer people are not listening to episodes as much, um, most of the episodes reached over a 1,000 listens, which is very important to me. That's like my threshold for things going well. So um, go go back, take a listen to them. Uh, the episodes that don't have a 1,000 listens, you know, I won't tell you what they are, but they're out there, and there's some really great ones. Shout out to my girls, Thin Blue Scribble from Canada. Um, and, and it just goes more and more. So check it out guys. Thank you so much for listening to my episode today. Thank you so much for your support. Um, ways to support me financially. If you want go to, um, there's a link at the bottom of the description for support. If you want to subscribe to the show, give me like, you know, some money weekly, monthly, whatever it is. I would appreciate that. If you want to actually get something out of it, go to 10 8 memesecwecw I'm sorry, .ecwid.com, uh, Equid. And we got t-shirts, mugs, uh, koozies. We're going to have a lot more merch coming up in the off-season. So check all that out. I really appreciate you guys just supporting me and, and making two years of the 10 podcast exist. Uh, if I didn't get the feedback that I did from you guys, there wouldn't be a 10 podcast. I would find something else to do with my time. But you guys do support me, and you continue to support me. Stay tuned. Two weeks, we have... Drunk Cop Summer Jam Part 1, The Jersey Boys, coming out. Hilarious. You guys are going to love it. And then the following week is either going to be Cheap Date or Blackout. So either way, guys, that's the 10-8 Podcast Season 2. Hope you guys are uh, enjoying your summer. And we will see you We'll see you in two weeks. But after that, we will see you back in October. Until then, friends, take care of each other. Stay safe. 10-8. Out. <laughs>